So I'm not sure if I've ever told this story before, but did you know that I used to be a certified stuntman? It's true. Um, when I was uh, 17, I had the opportunity to go to a stunt camp in New York where I learned how to do all kinds of things that stuntmen in movies do, like choreograph fight scenes and do running gunfights and how to, how to make it look like you'd been blown off a, bo a, a bicycle. And I got to jump from a 100-foot platform onto an air pillow. It was quite the experience. And I remember around that time, 17, I was going through a crisis of who I wanted to be. So when I had the opportunity to maybe decide to be a movie star one day, it definitely was something that was exciting to me. See, on one hand at that time, I was a martial arts instructor, and I loved it. And at 17, I was just about to take over the largest martial arts school in central Illinois. And karate had been something I'd been doing my whole life. I absolutely loved it. And then on the other hand, I had this opportunity to perhaps be in a movie. I just had to get certified as a stuntman, which I told my parents about. And then the part I didn't tell them about until after was that I would also have to take a year off of uh, after high school before going to college to, you know, be part of this movie, drive out of state, and, you know, be prepared to make my fame and fortune happen. And so I would have to wait a year to go to college if, indeed, I was going to go to college. To be honest, for me, and this isn't the case for, for other people, but for me, the whole take a year off thing was an excuse to hopefully become a movie star, and if not, then a world-renowned martial arts instructor and never have to go to college. Little did I know that almost 20 years later, I'd still be finishing up with college. But... Every now and then, I would really struggle in the midst of that, as many young people do with feelings of depression. I'd just be so overwhelmed with how terrible, how hard the world could be. When I looked around, I saw that there was so much that was wrong in people's lives, in people themselves, in me, and there were so many people that were hurting. It used to keep me up. In a world that had so many awful things in it, I didn't know what my place was. Was it my place to help relieve any of it? I didn't know what my purpose was. And like so many others, deep inside, I knew that life had to mean something, that the lives of the people around me, the hardship that people I knew and loved went through, that all of it had to mean something. And I was longing to know my purpose. I remember the first time that I came to church, one of my karate students was a youth pastor, and he was preaching on a youth Sunday and invited me, and I went, like I would go to a student's wrestling match or, or something like that just to support him. And I'd been in church buildings before for weddings and, and funerals and things like that, but that was the first church service I'd been to in a very, very long time. And I had absolutely no idea how dramatically my life was about to change. So in, the, in June of the year 2000, I went to church for the first time. And the first Sunday of September, I was standing in front of the church publicly committing my life to Jesus. 
because very quickly I had found my purpose. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about purpose. So your single sentence summary this morning is this. We will find our purpose when we surrender ourselves to Jesus and pledge our allegiance to him. We will find our purpose when we surrender ourselves to Jesus and pledge our allegiance to him. Now, I want to thank Logan for reading the passage. The first thing you need to know about the story this morning, the passage this morning, is this. This is a story about a king who is coming to his kingdom. Since the beginning, the Jewish people had been waiting for the fulfillment of a promise that a Messiah would come. That word Messiah means Savior. It's the same word as Christ. They're the same word in different languages. Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah had happened as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the promise of one to come. And then all throughout the Old Testament was this promise that this Messiah would come. He was going to be the Savior for God's people. He'd save them from their oppressors, and he would reconcile them with God. And somehow also, it's never quite clear how this would be, he would not only save and lead God's people, but he would be the very presence of God on earth. And so there's this prophecy in the book of Zechariah chapter 9 that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem, but he would be riding a donkey. Now, the idea of riding a donkey might sound a little strange to you or I, but not in the same way it would have sounded strange then. Because see, a king rode a horse. When a king came into a city, he came in on a horse, an animal of war. Priests, not kings, priests came in riding a donkey. Donkeys weren't ridden by men of war. They were ridden by men of peace. So the prophecy was a promise that this Messiah would be a king and a priest. He'd be a conqueror of peace. He'd be a ruler of peace. And so the people, they, they, they know what's happening. When Jesus comes in riding a donkey, they're not confused. They know what he's saying, and they understood what these symbols meant. They took branches, olive branches, and they put them down because they were a symbol of Jewish victory. And they threw their garments on the ground as well because in the ancient world, throwing your garment down for a king to ride over was a way of showing support and submission to him. Then they were shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna is, is best translated as something like, save us. And if you're Jewish, you only ever would say something like, Hosanna to God or to someone who represents God. Little did they know in that moment they were saying it to someone who was both. So the people already know what's happening. They know why Jesus is riding a donkey. Because he is the promised one. He's the Messiah. 
and soon God's people are going to be saved from their oppressors. But there's something else happening too. The story reminds us that not just that Jesus is a king, but but that we have a choice, just like they did, between kingdoms. It's a little bit hard for us to grasp how, how tense a situation this would have been. You see, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and he's intentionally fulfilling a prophecy. He's making a statement that says that he is king. Jesus is declaring himself king. Now, there were already plenty of kings in Jerusalem, and the thing about kings is they don't really like it when someone else in their territory starts calling themselves a king. Herod held the title, the king of the Jews. And any Jewish person who would claim to be a king would be a direct political threat to Herod and every person declaring themselves the king or showing support for that king took their lives into their hands in that moment. It was a big deal. And then there was Tiberius Caesar, who Herod ruled underneath, who Herod was in support of. Tiberius Caesar was the ruler over all other rulers, which earned him a couple of titles. One of them was King of Kings. Another one was Lord of Lords. Those titles belonged to Tiberius Caesar. And he was worshipped by his people who believed he was half of a god. And so he was called Son of God. You can start to see how how the, the tension between Jesus and the rulers in his time and in that place was just so thick you could touch it. And I want to make the tension just a little bit clearer. When when Tiberius' father, Augustus, died, messengers were sent all over the empire. Now, they weren't announcing the death of Augustus. They were spreading the good news that Tiberius was Caesar. They were spreading the good news. Their word for it was gospel. The, The gospel meant spreading the good news about a new Caesar. Can you see how tense Jesus declaring himself to be king and all the things that came with it would be? So, the people in Jerusalem, they had a choice. And in this story, we see that so many of them chose Jesus. And we have that same choice today. Now, they faced the question we face today a little little differently because their world looked a little different. They had to choose between kings. And they had some of the same issues that we have today, but the world was different. For us, the choice goes something like this. Who will get our first allegiance? Who do we choose first? Now, at that time... Choosing your nation or your ruler first was was a real struggle. It was an option that was on the table that a lot of people felt like you should choose. We don't really deal with that today. Maybe some of us do, but, but I don't think most of us in here really wrestle with whether or not the president or the United States deserves our first and foremost loyalty over our family or over our God or even over ourselves. 
but we do, we do struggle with other things. Who's going to get our first allegiance? The easiest answer for this is ourselves. We can look out for number one, first and foremost, before anything else. And that's easy to do because everything in us, if we let it, tells us to be selfish. To, to take our own needs and priorities first. And that's an option that a lot of people choose. They say, I will be my first allegiance. Another option is our family. And this one's hard because we all know that loving our family is a good thing. I love my wife very much. It would be a very easy thing, I think, for me to let this person I see every day that I love so much take that role of first allegiance. And I think a lot of people do this. They're even okay with, with Jesus as long as they get to choose family first. They don't, it, it's so hard to wrap your mind around how I love my wife more because she's not first. We'll talk about that in a moment. But after ourselves or our family, another thing that people can choose as their, their first allegiance is a cause. There was a march this weekend, and it was a wonderful thing. I'm not criticizing the march. Whether you agree with the politics of it or not, so many young people stepping out, boldly talking about what they believe is right, I think is an exciting thing, and hopefully it's something that, that continues for our country, a younger generation that is passionately caring about how the country works. But it's easy to let a cause grow in our mind so that we think it's supposed to be the thing that we choose first. Or we could choose Jesus. And we could, we could understand that any cause that we serve should come underneath Him and should be in honor of him. We can we can understand that our family as much as we love them must never come in between us and the Lord because if we if we choose him first our hearts will grow and our ability to love them will be just so much greater. And we can choose Jesus first because we know that that we will never actually be healthy. We'll never be able to see ourselves in an accurate light. We'll never actually be doing the thing we were made to do if we choose ourselves before Jesus. So, we find our purpose if we surrender to Him and pledge Him our allegiance. So what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we surrender to Jesus as our King? How do we put our faith our allegiance in Him. You know, it doesn't take very much introspection for us to figure out that something is wrong inside of us. Now, I can't speak for everyone here, but I can tell you that if I look inside myself for any time at all, I find that things are just not the way I would like for them to be. You see, I can decide that I want to do a thing. I can decide I want to eat right, for example. I know it's better for me, right? I can make that decision, and then, and then, you know what happens. You see the thing, right? Maybe for you it's chocolate. 
Maybe for you it's something else. And all of a sudden, what you know to be right and true and good goes out the window for momentary bliss. And yes, it is joyful and blissful and great thing, but we, we struggle sometimes with something as simple as eating right. Or the words that we speak. We decide we're not going to say certain things anymore and then in a moment we stub our toe or a hammer hits a finger and out comes the word that we've just committed not to speak maybe just a very short time ago. We talked about this in, a Sunday, in Sunday school a little bit. I can decide I'm not going to say a negative thing to anyone or about anyone all day and it doesn't take me more than 10 or 15 minutes to be complaining to my wife, totally oblivious to the fact that I couldn't hold my word, my promise, my pledge for that short a time. We are messed up inside. We're broken. We're infected with sin. And this sin, it's, it's something that we do, right? It's a, it's a thing that, that shows up in our actions. The thing that I say that I should not say. The thing that I do that I should not do. That's sin. But it's also inside of us. So our heart get twisted up. We're angry about things we shouldn't be angry about. We're happy about things we shouldn't be happy about. We desire things that don't honor us or our families or the Lord. We're sinful to the core. And because of this, because all human beings are this way, we just contribute to the awfulness that is sometimes so prevalent in the world that everyone bumps into at some point in their lives when they experience a tragedy that's a result of someone else's actions. But God doesn't want to leave us in this state. We human beings who are born in His image but have this this broken, twisted mess inside of sin. He doesn't want to leave us there. He made us to be like Him. The place that we're at, the way that we are, is not the way that we're supposed to be. The beginning of the Bible tells the story of the fall and how mankind is not what God made us to be. But He doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want to leave us alone, so He sends Jesus, God the Son, born as a human being. God, 100%, absolutely God, taking on human flesh, 100% absolutely human, born as a baby in a manger. And in that moment, as He takes on human flesh, He makes possible all kinds of things that were never possible before. Now a human being can answer for all human beings in a way that will satisfy God. Now a human being is capable of overcoming evil and death in sin, because he's not only human, he's also God himself. And the value of mankind is just raised up so high because now mankind has one of its members who is also God. All of this happens when Jesus becomes a human being and then he lives as a perfect sacrifice. He shows us what life is like in His kingdom through His teachings and His actions. And and He lives without sin. It's a perfect sacrifice. 
Then on the cross, as He dies, He draws all the punishment for sin. All of it. All of it. All the punishment for mine and all the punishment for yours. He draws it all onto Himself, into Himself. And He wins a victory over sin and over the world and over death. He's gone for a few days and He comes back. He's raised again. He overcomes death. And because He's overcome death, all of us who would follow Him, all of us who would call Him King, all of us that would be His, we have the ability to have the the resurrection life, the eternal life, the life from heaven that He makes possible when we declare Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, when we surrender ourselves to Him and pledge our allegiance to Him. And when we do that, when we do that, it's, it's like if you take a, a, a round piece and you try to fit it into different shapes. Sometimes it'll sit. Sometimes you can find a shape that'll hold it. Sometimes it'll just be a little wrong. But, but there's that satisfying moment where, where a round piece fits right into a round hole. And when we declare ourselves for Him, when we surrender to Him, in that moment, that's what happens. We find our purpose. We're a round peg fitting into a round hole. And so this morning, I'd like to issue or extend a challenge and an invitation. If you're a member of God's kingdom, if you've already pledged your allegiance to Him, placed your faith in Him, then I want to challenge you to do that again this morning. We're going to have some time during the closing prayer to do that together. And maybe if that's you, if if you're already surrendered, taken Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're on fire right now and your faith is stronger than it has ever been before. And what this is, is an opportunity just to continue to stoke the flame. And it's something I recommend doing every day, every morning before you get out of bed, reminding yourself who you belong to, who you're pledged to, where your allegiance lies. And that fire can keep burning as you go through life serving Him. Or maybe you're here today and you've pledged yourself to God, but He feels far away. Maybe you've wandered and you're living a life where you don't think or, or you know that you're not living the life He's called you to. He's distant. It's how you feel. You may even know that He doesn't move away from us. He's never distant from us. It's us that turn. It's us that wander. But maybe you're here today feeling like one who's drifted away. And if so, then this morning the the invitation is an opportunity for you to recommit. For you to have that conversation with your Lord and Savior and say again, I commit myself to you. An opportunity to journey back into a life of faith. And maybe you're here today and you've never committed to Jesus before. 
You've never given him your allegiance. And maybe you've come to church for years and just never made that commitment. Or maybe church is new. Maybe church is new, but you've you've never really thought about making Jesus Lord and Savior, surrendering to him. But it sounds like something you'd like to do. You're ready to find your purpose in him, and you're ready to declare Jesus is Lord and Savior, to pledge your allegiance to Him. Whichever one of these that fits you best, I want you to know that you'll find your purpose. You'll find your true purpose when you surrender to Jesus, when you pledge your allegiance to Him. So, in a few moments, we're going to have an invitation I'd like you to take the time between now and then to think about it. And all that's going to be asked is for you to raise a hand while everyone's heads are down. You're not going to be coming in front of anyone. You're not going to be calling attention to yourself. But I want to give you a chance to respond to the Lord, to pledge again or for the first time. So please pray with me. Father, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you, and we praise you. And Lord, we know that we are prone to wander. We know that even though we may have come to you, we may be saved, we may belong to you, still we're not perfect, still sin is at work within us. Your Spirit is overcoming it, Lord, but still we're imperfect. God, I pray that you would give us the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the desire to pledge our lives to you once again or for the first time. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.